Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy. We'll read chapter 1, verse 7. Let's read God's good word together. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What would it be like to encounter someone whom you could very well believe could stop a moving train simply by praying? That's the question asked by former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, who, while traveling in Egypt, stopped at a monastery and spoke to some of the monks there. And they told the story of some of the monks who had gone before them, one of whom was Father Philemon. And they would share stories about amazing things that he did, one of which was that he stopped a moving train simply by praying. And what's so interesting to me is that Williams didn't ask the question, you know, did that really happen? Or how can you prove that that happened? How is that even possible? The question that he asked is what might it have been like? What must it have been like? What was the experience of being in relationship with someone whom you could very well believe could stop a train by praying? What would it be like? What must the experience of being in the presence of that person have been like for that to be believable? And here's the question I want to ask us today. What would it be like to be in the presence of someone and because of the way that they live, that you could actually believe that Jesus had changed their life and could change yours as well. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're in our sermon series, All In, talking about living all in for God's kingdom. And uh, we have this wonderful graphic, and it's exciting, you know, uh, being in a poker game and going all in. And uh, so we love, love the visual, love uh, the feeling that it communicates. Uh, we also want to let you know that we are not a people of chance but a people of love, of power, and of self-discipline. And we remember the words um, that our denomination shares about gambling, um, as shared in our Book of Discipline and the Social Principles. Um, it says, Gambling is a menace to society, deadly to the best interests of moral, social, economic, and spiritual life, destructive of good government and good stewardship. Gambling destroys lives. And so uh, we don't condone it, um, but we do like the visual. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, or that's not what we're going to talk about today. That's the last we're going to talk about gambling. Um, but we are going to talk about is how followers of Jesus are all in for the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been talking about over the past four weeks. Um, we've been um, basing this on one of the membership questions we ask we ask whenever we become United Methodist, whenever we join a United Methodist Church. And this is the question. As members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And we've gone through the first four of those, and this week we're talking about our witness. And what we'll see is that our witness is that we are witnesses of Jesus' love in the world. That's what he calls us to. And, and so the first question, of course, is what does that mean? What is a witness? If you've grown up in church, you may have some idea of what that is. Um, if, if not, you may imagine a, a courtroom and think, what does that have to do with Jesus? And uh, as a witness in a courtroom shares what they've seen, shares what they've experienced, disciples of Jesus share our experience of what Jesus has done in us, what Jesus has done through us, and what he's done for us. It's sharing the things that we have experienced through him and with him, with others, so that they might experience it as well. But uh, if you've experienced it much, you, you may have some baggage around the idea of witnessing or, or of sharing testimony or of evangelizing. And so I want to share some of the things that witness that our witness is not. 
And the first of those is that sharing our witness is not coercion. We're not trying to, to bend someone's arm so that they finally cry uncle or so that they finally cry Jesus and say, okay, okay, I believe in him. I had a friend who, whenever he went to college, one of his sweet mates um, would engage him in conversation. And one day he asked him if he'd ever uh, played center in football, if he'd ever played that position. And my friend had not. He, he was not built like a lineman. He never played that, so he said no. And the guy wouldn't let him uh, stop there. He said, come on, you had to have done that at least once. And he said, you know, no, I really never did. And the guy continued, just kept asking him, said, come on, you have to have snapped a ball between your legs at least once. And my friend was growing tired of the conversation by that point. So finally said, okay, probably at some point in my life, I've snapped a ball as a center in football. And the guy looked at him and said, so you admit you're a sinner. He was just trying to get him to, to say that phrase so that he could take the next step following this, uh, this kind of process of evangelizing someone. I, I don't get it. I mean, those two words really aren't even that close. The vowel sound is different. There's a T. But, but for some reason, he thought by getting him to admit that he was a center, which sounds kind of like sinner, if, maybe if you say it kind of the right way, that he could then move him through the process of, of repenting and then confessing, you know, and following those things. That, that's not what our witness is. That's not the way that we do it. But sometimes we think of that whenever we hear the word. We also don't argue people into faith. It's not about knowing the, the three objections that people will make and how to counter those whenever you're talking about why people should believe in God, why what Jesus says is true, why any of those kinds of things. That's not what it's about. That's not a good way to, to encourage people to come to our faith. Most of the time, whenever you argue with people, you rarely turn them to your side. And so that's not what we're trying to do here either. We're not arguing with people. We're also not sharing a formulaic testimony. And maybe if you've grown up in the church, you've heard these. They, they go kind of like, you know, I, it used to look like I had everything together, but on the inside I was hollow, and then I met Jesus, and he changed everything. And, and those stories kind of all start to sound the same. We feel like, wow, I, I really need to have a story that sounds like that. Now, I don't want to denigrate anyone's story. I know the, those experiences are real for those people. But sometimes we feel like if I don't have that exact story, if my story doesn't follow exactly this pattern, then I'm not doing it right. Then I don't have a real story about Jesus, and I don't have a testimony that I can share. And so those are some of the ways that, uh, that, um, witness, that sharing our witness, that sharing our testimony can go awry. And, uh, and so while there can be ways that it becomes problematic, while it becomes tough, we also know that sharing is at the core of our faith. Um, it's at the very core of who we are as Jesus' disciples and what he tells us to do. And so we, we hear this from Jesus whenever, just before he ascends, um, whenever he gives the great commission to the disciples. And so just before he ascended to heaven, he said this, Jesus came in and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so in his last instructions to the disciples while he was on earth with them, what he shared with them was that they are to go and to make other disciples, to share with others so that they might become Jesus' disciples as well. We read something similar in the account from Luke's, in, 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 I'm sorry, in Acts, um, in chapter 1, verse 8. This is what Jesus said. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is a very basic instruction. It's something that's important enough that Jesus included it in his final instructions to the disciples while he was with them in person. 
And it's absolutely important for us that we learn how to do this. Um, it's something that's often, many of us get nervous about it, particularly if you're not um, the sharing type. But if we never share about Jesus, we'll deny others the opportunity to experience God's power in their lives. They might miss the opportunity. And while it's not our job to convince anyone, it is our job to share. The results are God's. It's, it's God's to, uh, to convict and, and to, um, to woo them. But we do have a part in that. And Jesus gives us a part of sharing what he's done for us so that others might experience his love as well. And, and we see an example in his life of how to do that well. And so we look to the witness of Jesus, because Jesus modeled for his disciples how they can be witnesses for him. And he did this in several ways. I'll talk about three of them. And the first is by teaching. He taught and told stories about what the kingdom of God is like. And so he told stories like the story of the prodigal son, about how God is like a father who, even though his, his son has abandoned him, has squandered his fortune, who basically said, I wish you were dead, whenever that son returns, forgoes all dignity and runs to him and welcomes him and even throws him a party. That is what God is like. And that's how Jesus told people about the love of God, not by arguing with them, not by convincing them, but by telling them a story about how amazing and extravagant and prodigal and prodigious the love of God is. He, he told them stories of what God's kingdom is like and, and, and how it's like someone who, who um, whenever a man is beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, uh, that even someone who's from the other, another race, from, from a hated other group, um, a Samaritan, whenever he comes upon him, will help him, will even pay from his own pocket to help that person recover. It's a place where an enemy can love an enemy and cast this amazing vision for what that reality is like. And that's something that I want to be a part of. And so we hear this in these stories. Jesus tells them what the possibilities are like, what God's kingdom is like. And so that's the first way he tells them stories, and he teaches them. He also invited people to be a part of the kingdom. He didn't just tell them a story, but then actually invited them to come and be a part of it. And so we see this very early in his ministry, whenever he called his first disciples. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And so he didn't just go by and tell them, hey, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. He said, come and follow me. Be a part of what God is doing. Be a part of my family. He invited them to be a part of what he was doing, and he invites us as well. And so Jesus not only teaches and tells stories, he also invites. And finally, Jesus lived his life as a witness. Jesus' life was his witness. And as his disciples, so is ours. Our life is our witness. And so this is one of the ways that Jesus did it. And you could pick pretty much any story in the Bible and watch what Jesus does, but this is one of those that tells us what he's like and what his gospel is. As Jesus sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so we see that this is someone who invited all people to himself. He, he didn't just talk a good game and say, yeah, everyone is welcome, and then sit with just a select few who are like him. He invited everybody. He invited people that were excluded, even people who are considered sinners. That's the example that he led. And of course, we see this supremely in his love 
and his death for us on the cross. This is how Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus didn't just talk a big game about loving everyone and welcoming everyone. He did it in his life, even to the point of offering himself out of his love for us. And so whenever we we see Jesus' witness, it's not just something that he said. It's something that he lived out in everything that he did. And so he sets that example for us. And when we follow Jesus' example, we can help others experience his love in their lives. And so we can follow the way that he does that. And, and so the first that we'll look at is, is the last that we talked about is the witness of our lives. Is Jesus' life was his witness, our lives are our witness. And, and one of the places that we see this is in John chapter 13. Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another. And he modeled that love by washing their feet, by doing something that for, for a teacher, for their Lord and master, was completely degrading, not to mention gross. And yet after the supper was over, whenever they had gathered to eat, Jesus took off his outer robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. And afterward, this is what he told them. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so what Jesus tells us is that people will know that we follow Jesus, they will know that we are his by our what? By our love, by the way that we love one another. Not by our superior theological arguments, not because of the church we go to or anything else, by our love. That's how people will know that we follow him, by the way that we love one another. And whenever we do that well, it's a wonderful and amazing witness that draws people to him. But when Christians fail to act in love, our witness can push people away from Jesus. At best case, it's just a waste of our time. It has no effect. And at worst, it actively repels people away from Jesus. And unfortunately, I don't have to tell you very many examples of this. You know what it's like whenever Christians behave badly. And and this week, we've seen in some of the headlines some of the awful ways that that Christians fail to live up to the love of Christ. As we hear news of new sex abuse scandals that um, clergy have been involved in. And it breaks my heart for everyone who's involved in that, for all of the children whose lives were were so harmed. And and as well as for people who will say, you know what, if that's how people who follow Jesus act, count me out. I don't want to be a part of that. But that's what happens. And, and so the way that we live together, and particularly the way we protect the most vulnerable, is a witness to what we really believe. And one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I'm part of a denomination and part of a church at Acts 2 that has policies designed to protect people. And so we have a safe sanctuary policy. And that's a witness to our love and care for children. And so that means if you're going to work with anyone who's under 18 or who is a vulnerable adult, then you've got to pass a background check. And, um, and even if you're in that place, you're never going to be alone with children. We're always going to have at least two adults because our top priority is keeping them safe. That's our witness. And that's how we love as Jesus loved us. That's how we care for the children that Jesus has trusted us with. Because whenever we don't, it's absolutely catastrophic. And our witness doesn't match up with the things that Jesus says. 
And that's a problem because as, as ethicist Christine Pohl says, the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. And whenever we get that right, the results are amazing. It can make an absolute difference. And we can be a part of something amazing. Our lives can bear witness to a love that creates a community where all kinds, where people of all kinds are welcome, where all are welcome, where people from all kinds of backgrounds love one another authentically, and where Christ's light shines. That's the kind of community that we're building here at Acts 2, because that's the kind of community that we read about in Acts chapter 2, where people from every nation under heaven were gathered, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and they were able to understand one another despite speaking different languages. That's the kind of community that God created in the original, in the early church. And that's the kind of community that we're still asking God to create here among us today. And whenever we live out that witness, people want to be a part of it. I'm thankful for one of my mentors who exemplified this really well. Um, Dr. John Starkey was a professor at Oklahoma City University. Um, He taught theology and New Testament and um, just about any other class that they asked him to teach. But one of the things that was amazing about him is he would teach us about Jesus. He would teach us about the love of God, but he also lived it. And and he spent way too much time in his office talking to students because all of us wanted to talk to him. Whenever you turned in a paper, you would get a response that sometimes was as long as the original paper that you submitted because he wanted to help you to grow and to learn. And and he saw what God had gifted us with, sometimes things that, that we could not see ourselves. And he lived his faith. He was a Quaker. He believed in living simply, and so he he lived in a house that was close enough to the Oklahoma City University campus that he didn't have to own a car. Uh, Caring for creation was also important to him, and so that was another part of that. And um, just the way that he lived, not many of us, I don't think, became Quakers, at least not in my class. Um, Few of us got rid of our cars, but because we experienced God's love through him, we were changed. His witness made a difference, and it wasn't just the things that he said to us. It was the way that he lived. And I'm so thankful that I had the experience of God's love through him and the blessing of studying with him. Because when people see the evidence of God's love at work in our lives, they will want what we have. They'll want to experience that as well. Whenever we embody the love of Christ in the way that we live with others, we can make an absolute difference. And so I wonder, in your life, how are you living? What is the witness that people see in your life? If they look at your social media feeds, what will they see? The things that you've posted, will will they see the love of Christ there? Or will they see condemnation of people who don't see the world like you do? If they see the way that you drive, the way that you treat people who are serving you, or or maybe a a server who got your order wrong, what do they see? Do they see the love of Christ there? Or do they see something else? We have the amazing opportunity to share the gospel without saying a word. And yet we also have the opportunity to discredit it without saying a word as well. So how will you live your life? Your life is your witness. But it's not the whole of your witness. Because as we see, Jesus also invited people to come and see. And so living out Jesus' love in the way that we behave toward others is a great start, but people will never know why we're different if we don't tell them. It's important for us to walk the walk, but we also have to talk the talk as well. It's not one or the other. It's both. And so Jesus, Jesus not only lived out the kingdom, but he also taught about it. And not only taught about it, but he also invited people to be a part of it. And that's the same thing that we can do as well. We can invite people to be a part of what God is doing in our lives and in the world as well. And specifically, the way that we do that at Acts 2 is, is we're um, helping non-religious and non-active Christians become radical 
Christ followers. And so we can share the hope with people who are non-religious and with Christians who have become non-active, who, who are not currently practicing their faith. We can help them by inviting them to experience what we have and to experience the hope that only Christ can bring. And probably that won't happen simply by waiting for them to come to us. We'll have to actually go to them if we want to share. We have to have relationships with people who are not like us. Because if, if you're anything like me and like most Christians, the kind of people that we hang out with are other Christians. And so who are the people that you're interacting with? Who are the people that you might share hope with because you spend time with them? This is one of the ways that we see Jesus' disciples living that out. This is very early in the Gospel of John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now it's really interesting. Philip was trying to do Nathanael a favor to tell him about the person that they had encountered, that they had encountered the one who was written about in the scriptures. And Philip was like, I, or Nathaniel was like, I don't know about that. I mean, from, from Nazareth, really? Like, shouldn't he be coming from Jerusalem or someplace like that? And what's interesting is, is that Philip doesn't argue with him. He's not like, well, actually, here are three very good reasons why the Messiah could have come from Nazareth and why we should have expected that. What does he say to him? Say it with me. Come and see. He invites him to come and see what Jesus is doing and to be a part of it. Philip didn't argue with him. He simply invited him to come and see. And so we can do the same thing whenever we invite people to come and see what Jesus is doing in our lives, in our church, and in the community. And as you're inviting people to come and see, there are two really simple ways that you can share with others, by recommending and by inviting. And so if you know someone new who's moving to town or someone who hasn't found a church home and is looking and uh, you think Acts 2 might be a good fit, you can simply recommend our church to them in the same way that you would if they were looking for a realtor or wanting to know what are good restaurants in the area. You can just say, I recommend Acts 2. It's a great church. My family and I love it. It's been a great fit for us. And the great thing about that, we know that we're not a perfect fit for everyone, but even if they come and realize there's another place that would be a better fit, that's somebody else for the kingdom. Because we know that even if they have a different name on the front of the church, even if they have a different denomination on the front or none, we're still all on the same team. We're all following Jesus together. And so we're not in competition. We're working together for the kingdom of God. And so we can recommend the churches, um, recommend our church to other people, and then leave the results to God. The other is by actually inviting them to come with us. And um, one of the most powerful ways that people, or actually the most common way, the most effective way that people come to find a church home is by being invited by a friend. Not just by anybody, but by a friend. And so it's not by having a really great church website and people find all the info they're looking for. That's not a bad thing. Or having a really awesome social media presence with great posts, although that's good too. But by being invited by a friend. And so who do you know that doesn't have a church home that you might be able to invite? And simply by inviting them, you can make such a difference in their lives. And whenever you do, it's important to remember, it's not just come to my church, but come with me.
Come with me, because one of the things that, that we forget if we've been in church for a long time is that it can be really intimidating to come into a new church for the first time. There are tons of people that you don't know. You might not know a single other soul. And then there are all these things you don't know where to go, when you're supposed to stand up, when you're supposed to sit down, when you're supposed to read with the pastor, and when you're not. All those things can be really intimidating. And simply by inviting someone to come with you, it can make all the difference in the world. And so simply by recommending and inviting, we can invite people to experience the love of Christ in the same way that we've experienced it ourselves. And whenever you think about who invited you to come and see, I wonder for you, who is the person who helped you come to faith in Jesus? Who is the person who first told you about him, who helped you come to know him as Savior and Lord? Whenever I think about that in my life, the, the person who had the biggest influence on me is my mom. I remember from the time that I was little that every night she would come and at bedtime she would pray with me. And she taught me how to pray. First she taught me, now I lay me down to sleep. And I'm sure before I could uh, hear, uh, before I could speak and, uh, and actually be able to participate with her, she would pray over me. But after I was able to do that, she taught me, now I lay me down to sleep. And then she also taught me the Lord's Prayer whenever I got big enough to learn that. And that had some big words. I, I, didn't, I was Presbyterian at the time, so I didn't know what debts were, but she explained that to me and helped me to understand the faith by teaching me that prayer. And she took me to worship, um, taught me about praying and, and what it meant to follow Jesus. And, and so there were other people who were influences in my life, um, my dad, my grandparents, my Sunday school teachers. I still remember the Halls and the Lindsays and the McBrides. And I'm so grateful for all of those influences and particularly for my mom who helped me to know Jesus. The other question I want to ask you is, how has Jesus made a difference in your life? What in, in your life is different because you're a follower of Jesus? Now, I, I can think of a lot of things that, uh, that he's done in my life, but one of those started um, whenever I was in high school and went on a mission trip to Mexico. We built casitas, um, little houses, and, and through that I learned that following Jesus wasn't just about behaving the right way. It wasn't just about not saying bad words, not drinking on the weekends, but actually had to do with sharing the love of Christ by serving others. That made such an impact on me and, and continues to have an impact on me. And I still remember that today. It helps me to know that, that life is not just about me, but it's about sharing the love that Christ has for everyone and serving those who are in need. And so that was a, an amazing experience that I got to go on with my dad as well whenever I was in college, and we got to share that together. And so what is the difference that Jesus has made in your life? And as you think about who you can share that with and maybe how you can become someone who names you uh, whenever they remember who are the people that made a difference in their lives and helped them to know Jesus, one of the ways you can do that is by sharing with the children in your family. You can share the hope that you have with them. And so you can do like my mom did and, and teach them how to pray. Teach them the Lord's Prayer. Pray that prayer with them. That's something that we've done with, uh, with my daughters every night. We've missed some nights, I'm sure, whenever we were traveling or up late. But, but every night we pray the Lord's Prayer with them. Um, from the time that they um, can't understand it, my six-year-old still doesn't understand some of the words, um, but she's getting there. And she's learning the faith through praying that prayer. And so simply by praying that with them, you can help them to know Christ. You can also bring them to worship with you, um, whether they're your children, your grandchildren, nieces, or nephews. But start by teaching them the faith. Help them to know who Jesus is. Because there are so many people in our communities. Our communities are full of people who desperately need the hope that Jesus brings. And the way that they will find it is through people who are willing to share with them. 
I love the story um, Adam Hamilton tells it about James McGinnis, um, who was a football player in high school. In, in 2014, his senior year, uh, in a football game he was playing, and he went to tackle someone, and his head hit the other player's hip bone, and he suffered a subdural hematoma. He was in the hospital for a long time, um, suffered a, a serious brain injury, and they didn't know how things were going to be afterward. And after months of therapy, of having to relearn how to walk and how to talk, um, he was able to regain um, some of his independence. And yet things were still not the same. The, the kind of jobs he could have were not the same as he was able to have just a few months earlier. And talking continued to be a struggle for him. And yet one of the most powerful things about his life is his witness. The way that he shared the love of Christ with others. And the way that he did that was through this through sharing with people the American Sign Language sign for, I love you. This is how people know him. Um, every time he sees someone, this is what he does. Because he wants to share with people that they are loved and to invite others to join him in sharing love throughout the world. He was traveling with his father one day. They were going through Joplin, Missouri, and it stopped to get gas. And they finished and uh, put the, put the um, handle back up and started to get back into their car, and, and James told his father to hold on. Uh, there were some bikers driving up and pulling into the, hump, the pump behind them, and uh, he told them just to wait. He needed to stay for a second. And so his father thought that was kind of weird, but, but went with him. And so um, after they, the bikers got off, they, they were big, they were tough looking. These were not soft, cuddly bikers, uh, but they were tough guys. And uh, James walked up to them, and they kind of folded their arms and uh, did not look too inviting, and, and he held up the I love you sign, and that did not crack any barriers with them. When James started to talk, they could tell that, that he had a brain injury, and that started to, to soften them, to, to lower the walls just a little bit. And he said, I just want you to know that you're loved. And uh, one of the bikers began to cry. He said, you know, my dad never said that to me growing up. I don't know if anyone has ever said that to me. And James said, well, I want you to know that you are loved. That's the kind of impact that we can have whenever we share the love of Christ, whenever we let our witness shine so that others can experience that as well. We can be a part of that. And these are the ways that I wanna challenge you to do that. These are our action steps for this week. First, I want to challenge you to reflect on your witness, um, both digital and in person, but to ask if, if people didn't know where I went to church or even whether I went to church and saw the way that I behave, if they saw um, the things that I post online, if they heard the way that I talk to people, what would they think about me? And if they found out that I followed Jesus, would they think less of Jesus or more? And, and then reflect on that. And if that answer isn't what you want it to be, then think about what are the things that I can change? So the things that I do, the way that I conduct myself, the way that I speak to others is a credit to Jesus and might entice others who want to come to know him. So take a look, reflect on your life and ask that question. And then pray and ask whom God would have you invite to worship. Pray, God, who, who in my life are you calling me to invite and how might I invite them? And then invite them this month. And before you do that, remember that the most effective way, the, the way that most people come to find a church home is being invited by who? by a friend, not by a stranger. Sometimes that feels like being accosted. And so if it's not someone you know well, um, then that might take some time beforehand uh, of investing, of spending time with them, of being all in with your presence and sharing that with them so that you have a relationship and then can actually invite them so they can experience the love of Christ. 
And as you invite, um, I want you to know that we've got an awesome sermon series coming up. I think it's really going to help you. I know that it's something that I need. And, and so as you're inviting, you can just let them know, hey, our, our, our church is starting a new sermon series. And uh, you can share with them what it's about. Take a look. elimination of hurry. And if your life is anything like mine, you need to eliminate some hurry from your life. So I hope you'll come. We hope you'll invite someone so they can experience the change that Jesus can bring to their lives. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.